Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Sapiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in once again this week, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Remember, if you ever do miss an episode, make sure to check us out online. Go to mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. We've got about 100 episodes there, so make sure to check out the entire archive and then do subscribe as well so you don't miss any of our future conversations. In today's episode, we're talking about the importance of Catholic education and what's being done in Minnesota uh, to promote school choice and helping more people access good quality Catholic education. In our mailbag segment, we'll dive deeper into some of those questions as well. And of course, we want to leave you with some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith into action. In our bricklayer segment, an opportunity to be a public witness to the faith and pray for our elected leaders. And listeners, if you ever have an idea for our bricklayer segment, or maybe you just have a question about how faith and politics are interacting, let us know. Send me an email. You can send it to show at mncatholic.org, or you can find us on social media. Just search for Minnesota Catholic Conference. We're now blessed to be joined on the line by Sean Peterson. Sean is Executive Director of Catholic Education Partners. Some of our listeners may have recalled working with Sean when he was the Associate Director for Public Policy. In plain terms, our Chief Lobbyist at the Minnesota Catholic Conference over the years. Uh, Before his time working at MCC at Catholic Education Partners, Sean also served in the state legislature in a number of positions, including Sergeant-at-Arms in the House, and he was on staff for two governors. Great to have you with us, Sean. Welcome back to the MCC Fold. Good morning, Jason. It's nice to be. It's old home week. And indeed, and fantastic. So glad that you've joined us today to talk about this uh, really key topic for Catholics and the Catholic voice in the public square, especially forming the next generation. Tell us a little bit about Catholic Education Partners, its mission, and what you hope to accomplish there. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity this morning. We were just about five years old. We were founded in 2017. And uh, our real purpose is just to really partner with state Catholic conferences like yours, bishops, other clergy, Catholic school leaders and families and stakeholders. And our main mission is to advance state policies that just allow more families to access Catholic education, while at the same time protecting the autonomy and integrity of Catholic schools. And we do this in a variety of ways, depending on the needs of the local Catholic community. We do that in subsidiarity with Catholic conferences and others just to advance these policies that bring more school choice, basically, to the state. Why is it that school choice is such an important public policy initiative for the Catholic Church, both here in Minnesota and around the country? There's such a lack of choice right now. And obviously, if you have the means, people have always had choice that they have the means. But right now, especially, I think we see during COVID, just with you know the lack of in-person schooling and distance learning and the, the negative effects that have had that's had on families and children, I think that just highlights, you know, the, the need that we've had for school choice for many, many years to allow families to choose the best education for their children. And that's just that's been lacking for, for decades in many states. Some states have been great, you know, Florida and Arizona and those states have all been ahead of the curve on this, but like our own state of Minnesota and, and other places, parents just don't have those educational options for their children. What are some of the impediments that you come across um, within the Catholic community to promoting school choice? It seems like for a lot of folks, it's kind of a no-brainer, obviously, 
we should be supporting people and having access to non-public school options. But support for school choice is not always universally embraced, even within our own Catholic community. What are some of the challenges there? Well, I think no, you're you're right, and you know we've had we had that struggle when we were at MCC as well with our with our policies. I, I think it's like a lot of policies. Sometimes uh, the number one thing I hear is we shouldn't get into politics and you know education. The education issue is such a charged issue that we really shouldn't delve into it. We should just run our schools privately and and be quiet and do you know make those choices for our kids. But we shouldn't try to access those public dollars and change those things. So I think there's that. There's there's lack of understanding that. As you've said many times, and we used to say at MCC that, you know, Pope Francis said a good Catholic meddles in politics and in a good way. I think there's a resistance there to get involved in this issue because it is highly charged. I think there's a lack of understanding and a lot of misunderstanding for Catholics on what school choice means and really the benefits of it and the rights of parents to make those decisions and not have to go to the local government school. There's nothing there's nothing sacrosanct about the the local government school. It's it's just a, a brick and mortar place where a child can get an education. A popular Catholic historian uh, from yesteryear EEY Hales said that if there's one thing that defines the Catholic Church's engagement in the public square over the last couple centuries, it's opposing the state's monopoly on education. Why is that so important? And why, uh, you know, we get the question, why is the church focusing so much on Catholic education and school choice and these issues? What What's going on there? Why does the church want to prevent the state's monopoly on education? Well, I think first and foremost, because uh, as the church has always taught that, you know, parents are the primary educators of their children. And I think often as Catholics, and historically this is that, you know, we don't want the government school to be the primary educator of our children. We don't want them to be the ones that are passing on beliefs and and moral guidance and everything else. That's really our job as parents. And because parents have this God-given duty, you know, they they must also have the corresponding right to choose those schools that best fit their educational needs of their children. And school choice helps that level that playing field between those that have the means to make those choices and not. And so I think we're seeing today all with all kinds of issues, Jason, with SOGI issues and with, uh, you know, the so-called bathroom bill issues and the wokeness that's going on right now and what children are being taught to think or not to think. You know, we we just don't want our children indoctrinated in that way, and we want to make those choices ourselves. We're speaking with Sean Peterson, Executive Director of Catholic Education Partners, a resource to dioceses, bishops, Catholic conferences to help them get good policies enacted that help Catholic education and promote access and opportunity for students. Sean, what's your, you've alluded to this already. We've talked about a few things, COVID, um, you know, woke ideology in schools. What are your top three reasons for school choice? What are the three things driving the need and the desire for school choice today? What do you tell legislators and dioceses and the folks you work with about why school choice is needed so bad? What's your little elevator pitch on that? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, first and foremost is access for everyone to give. Again, it's about means. Uh, If you have a good income and you live in a great neighborhood and you're a great school, you've got access to some good schools and means. But you know, there's no preferential option for the poor among a lot of families that, that don't live near a good school, that, that can't write the check every month. So that's really the number one reason that everyone should have that right. Two, I think we do talk about now today about maybe not wanting your child in a public school for 
you know, the reasons of, you know, being indoctrinated with things that you might not want your children to be exposed to and to have those options. And then I think COVID, which has literally brought home the idea that one size does not fit all, is that many families really struggled through the last year to, to juggle work and being at home. And millions of children really struggled with distance learning and had major setbacks. And our Catholic schools did a fantastic job, and other private schools did as well, a fantastic job of getting those kids back in the classroom and doing that safely. And I will tell you, from every state that I've been working in, traditional government schools and public teacher unions have not done themselves any favors by their performance during COVID. And I would say that third thing has really helped drive you know, the, the 31 states that have introduced school choice legislation this past session. And, you know, we've already gotten three of those passed passed and signed by governors. And I think we're probably going to get five or six more states joining the club. That's outstanding. Sean, I want to return to that school choice issue in a moment. But say a little bit more about COVID and the way in which COVID has exacerbated and highlighted the need for school choice. You mentioned people struggling with distance learning. Um, How is COVID accelerating the push for school choice nationally? School choice right now is at an all-time high for popularity and people that support it. And I think, you know, that's happened a lot. You know, as you know, Jason, we have a lot of families in this country that are that are dual income families that some of them need need that to survive. And you know, if you've got young children at home that have to be home and can't be in school, you probably can't be at your job, or at least both of you can't be at your job. So, you know, that has hurt families economically. I think a lot of parents aren't, while they are the first educators and have the right to do that, I don't, I'm not sure a lot of parents are equipped on a day-to-day basis to teach their own children. And that's why we have schools, both Catholic, non-Catholic, you know, and government. So I, I think that's really made people think about COVID has really made them think about their personal situation. And wow, like this was hard. This was hard to, to have my child at home for a whole school year in some cases. And and we know that, that uh, test scores and we know that all kinds of things have been dramatically affected by COVID and that even, you know, children's mental health, even just not being in the classroom with their peers, with their teachers and having that human interaction and just staring at a screen all day has caused a lot of mental health issues with children. So all these things have have boiled to the surface. And I think school choice has really been the answer that a lot of people have turned to and, and realized, wow, this really is a good policy now that it sort of affects my family. So say a little bit more about, you said three states have enacted school choice policies. Uh, what is what is the school choice? I think in a lot of ways it's stalled out in some places, but accelerated in others. What's going on? What's uh, What are you seeing that's driving people? Uh, I, you know, West Virginia, we've seen Kentucky. You know, what other, what other states are really making a move and what's driving them toward passing this legislation that's been talked about for decades, but finally it seems there's real mm-hmm. movement behind it. Yeah, you mentioned West Virginia. We were personally involved in that. That's the most expansive school choice program in the country. And three years ago, they had no chance of passing school choice. So we know definitely COVID from from polling we did uh, helped with that. Kentucky, Georgia, I think, has passed both of their their, their bill, uh, passed both bodies. I think it's waiting for the governor to sign it. We've got legislation moving in Nebraska, New Hampshire. There's There's additional legislation moving in Florida. Arizona's got some new legislation. I mean, it's hard to even keep up. To be honest, it's hard to keep up every day. 
every day I open, you know, different emails from, from our partners around the country and they just pass one body or another. And a lot of that is, I know it's directly related with COVID. Now a little bit is with the Espinosa decision with, with Blaine. I think that gave legislators who were pro school choice some cover to finally go ahead and, and work on these pieces of legislation, knowing that they weren't going to be overturned, you know, based on the, the Blaine amendments. But COVID definitely has, because it's ignited the grassroots and it's ignited voters uh, in favor of this issue, then it's given legislators courage to go forward with these with these bills and really be really be champions of school choice, whereas before they they just were a little tentative about, you know, taking on the, the local superintendent and the teacher union. So we have had one argument or one barrier that was put in the way, even at least rhetorically, in, in front of school choice programs, which was the so-called Blaine Amendments, of which Minnesota has one, uh, which denies aid going to, quote, sectarian schools, which is really just anti-Catholic bigotry from the 19th century by another disguise. But the U.S. Supreme Court has said in that Espinoza decision you've cited that when government provides benefits um, and can't discriminate between religious schools and uh, non-religious schools and, the, and its distribution of funds for school choice programs. So that's a really big victory. But, but Sean, it's not just the, the, sub, the, the issue that's changed. It's actually the legislation that's changed. We're seeing an evolution in the type of legislation, and it's not these sort of small ball uh, programs. These are big, really strong, universal school choice programs. Just say a little bit, when we say school choice, what does that mean from a policy perspective? What actual benefits and programs are being enacted these days, and how do they differ from school choice programs of the past? Sure. Well, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use the West Virginia example just because that's, that's a, it's a really simple bill that we drafted. Simple is sometimes better in legislation. So, this bill basically takes the state portion, which in West Virginia is $4,600, and it, it gives that in the form of what, what we call a HOPE scholarship, but it's really an ESA, an education savings account. So it, it enables the family to take that $4,600 and use it for a variety of things. It could be tuition at a, at a Catholic school, a non-public school. It could be tutoring. It could be computers and things like that to help them with their education. It could be a variety of things. So the, the bill in West Virginia, is it covers about 90% of students in the state of West Virginia are eligible for HOPE scholarship. There's no cap on the ultimate dollar amount. So, And any child that's currently in a public school can be what we call a sector switcher and could switch to a, a non-public school and receive this $4,600 for tuition. And every child entering kindergarten is given the option of which path they want to take. Do they want to go to a traditional government school? Great, you can do that as a parent. Or do you want to go to a non-public school or take this HOPE scholarship and do something else with it? So it's just, it's ultimate flexibility for parents and gives them really good options to be able to do that. And, you know, in a state of like West Virginia, $4,600 is a lot of money. I mean, that will cover most uh, non-public school tuition. It used to be, Jason, I think you, you just mentioned um you know, sort of the traditional public or the traditional school choice programs. You're right. We're, we're going pretty full bore with these with these programs. These aren't little tax credits for families that they can deduct tuition or get a tax credit for a little bit of their tuition that they paid. And they're not even sort of small ball scholarship credits where they you know they have to raise the money in the first place. I mean, this is these are state dollars going to families so that they can make these choices with their education. So they're I mean they're just transformative. 
It sounds great and amazing and uh, just an extraordinary development, especially in states like West Virginia and Kentucky and other places. But, you know, an exam, an issue that that's, arises in my head is, are there enough non-public schools to fulfill the demand in West Virginia? Or are we seeing new schools popping up to take advantage of the opportunity to minister to kids and, and educate kids? What's going on with just the, in terms of the market supply of educational options there in West Virginia, for example? I was actually just on a call yesterday uh, talking about that with some folks that, that actually do open new Catholic schools, for example. And, and that's where the church is going to have to step in, obviously. I always tell folks, we can get these, we can try to get these programs passed, but if there's not the empty seats available for these kids to fill, then we, they really, again, don't have school choice. They might have a check in their hand for $4,600, but if there's no school for them to go to, what's the point? So we as a church really need to step up then and take some risks and say, okay, you know, we need to put some new schools in places like West Virginia. Now, there's definitely open seats in the, there's 20, there's 24 school, Catholic schools in West Virginia. There's definitely open seats. But, you know, in a lot of places in some of the rural areas and like the coal mining areas, there aren't a lot of Catholic schools. So, again, we have to figure that out. What does that look like? How can we get that education to those children? The other point is, as well, even when we have a lot of schools in an area, we do find that school choice programs are underutilized and that those dollars aren't always all used and we still have empty seats. So again, as a church, we need to step up and figure out how do we do outreach to our parents? How do we make them aware of, of these, these programs? And I'll just give you a quick, there was a uh, NCA, National Catholic Education Association, Emphatica study. And the interesting, there's three interesting numbers that I would highlight. 81% of Catholic parents and 64% of non-Catholic parents said they're very willing to consider a Catholic school for their child. Only 34% of parents know that they live in a choice state. Hmm. So, that, I mean, that's a big information gap that we need to help, help fill. Indeed. Wow, that's a stunning statistic, and I'm glad you're on the front lines there helping uh, dioceses and State Catholic Conference get the word out. Sean, I got one final question for you that's going to require all your uh, very fine skills in diplomacy. Um, in the archdiocese, you know, our schools are full um, in many instances. There's waiting lists, and it's because the schools in the archdiocese especially stepped up to respond to the need for in-person learning and dedicated themselves to the hard work of providing uh, in-person learning during COVID and, and just did a fantastic job. But nationally, the data tells us that Catholic school enrollment is declining and Catholic schools are closing. So we have this weird trend of what's going on here in the archdiocese without robust school choice programs. We've got seats. The seats are full by and large. You're talking about states with school choice where there's opportunities to fill seats because of the presence of public dollars. Yet, Catholic school enrollment nationally, as we read in Catholic News Service and other places, is declining. What's going on there, and how do we reverse that trend? Yeah, we're, we're down 6.4% overall over the country, and that's, that's the lowest number we've been at. That's worse, actually, worse decline than after the abuse crisis and the Great Recession. We've lost 203 schools have closed or consolidated all over the country. And so, you know, thanks be to God that in, here in the arts, we're, we're up. But again, I think that's some of that's quality of schools. We've got to, you know, we've got to have good quality schools for parents to want to choose. Um, and we don't, unfortunately, have that everywhere. Um, we have a lot of great school Catholic schools, but, you know, some schools could do a better job. 
I think it's also, you know, marketing, uh, telling the story of our great Catholic schools. And we're not always good at doing that as well. But I think, again, during COVID, we did a great job. I think we can we can talk about that and, and how we did that. If we can get more of these, uh, you know, programs passed, uh, again, letting parents know that we've got dollars available to, to welcome them into our schools. And really, I think the biggest thing we have to do as a church is we have to do outreach to the Hispanic community. They will be the, the largest number in our pews, and we've got to get them in our schools. And I don't think we've done a really good job church-wide of, of getting the Hispanic community engaged in Catholic schools and really letting them know these schools are built for you. These schools were built for our American immigrants, the Irish, the Germans, the Polish of the 19th and 20th century. You know, we want you in our schools. These schools are built for you. So I think that's a very important demographic that we have to outreach to to be able to to fill our schools back up to capacity. Well, that's a, a, a fascinating point and one worth reflecting on. The, the you know Catholic schools were largely uh, schools for immigrants and immigrant families back in the day, late nineteenth, early twentieth centuries, and that's always been a strong part of our heritage. And that's what's going to be the, something that sustains them in the future. And you make a great point about school choice too. Is that if we're going to have we can have all the school choice programs in the world, which are fundamentally about kids and not schools. And if we don't provide good schools in our Catholic school system, then uh, they're not going to choose them. So <laughs> it's school right. choice is one piece of the puzzle, but also providing a good product and putting a good product out there for people to choose if we want people to come to our schools is another. So some very key points to finish off our conversation. Sean, we've been grateful for your time here today. Where can people go to learn more about Catholic education partners and support your mission? Well, they can go to, we just, we just redid our website, and we're adding a lot of new uh, features, so we're proud of that. So they can go to, it's catholiced.us, pretty simple, catholiced.us, and they can find out about uh, what we do, some things that are going on in different states, and there's a lot of good resources for parents and Catholic social teaching on education choice. Wonderful. Sean Peterson, Executive Director of Catholic Education Partners. CatholicEd.us is the website. Thanks so much for joining us on the Bridge Builder program today. Thank you, Jason. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag to see what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag? This week, the question actually ties in really well with the conversation we just had on the national level about Catholic schools. We received a question from a parent here in Minnesota who wants to know what are some specific efforts that are underway here in Minnesota to promote Catholic education? Well, we want to, uh, I think the way to first think about it is that we're, we want to promote access and the well-being of students. So we can talk about Catholic education and we want to strengthen those ministries. When we talk about Catholic education, it's a key thing from an institutional standpoint is to protect the autonomy of Catholic schools, to make sure that we can operate those and teach consistent with our mission and our morals and our values. And so we're always vigilant about those questions and monitoring any mandates, as we would call them, 
on Catholic education. So far, there have no, been no serious mandates introduced this session uh, to impose on non-public schools and particularly Catholic schools. But mostly we talk about students, that dollars and resources should be about students, regardless of school choice, Catholic schools, public schools, whatever. And uh, so we, a lot of our advocacy is focused on that piece, and it's a student-centric. So we've joined in a coalition called Minnesota Non-Public Education Partners with a number of faith groups, denominations, and the Minnesota Independent School Forum. And collectively, we bring our voice of the non-public school community on some key issues impacting us all. Three issues this year that we've been able to help get in the Senate Education Omnibus Bill, and we're hoping the House supports them too. Uh, expanding counseling resources for students in non-public schools. Right now, they're currently available for grades 7 through 12, but we want those to extend down to the primary grades as well. We've seen this year especially the need for mental health resources. People are really struggling during the pandemic, and the need for those counseling resources is getting earlier and earlier, sadly, with family fragmentation and everything that's going on. And those are really, really important and vital for our schools. So expansion of counseling resources is one point. The second point is providing more flexibility and transportation for non-public schools. Some of you may know that non-public schools are subject to the busing routes of the public schools. So if you want to access busing to the, the non-public school or the Catholic school, then you've got to, uh, the school has to be uh, flexible and adjust its start times and busing times based on the public school route. But we are proposing, and the Department of Education here in Minnesota signed off on this during the pandemic when public schools were in distance learning and non-public schools were doing in-person, was to just contract directly with the bus companies, for example. And then the bus companies can file a claim and get reimbursed through the state or the district. And so what we're trying to do is just make that permanent to give more flexibility to non-public schools to work with busing companies. And that's going to really uh, help them create some stability in their start times and uh, make it easier for everybody from an administrative standpoint. So that's a really, really important change. It seems small, but it's super important in terms of how our schools are able to run and operate. And the third thing is is the safe, the state safe schools program. Right now, districts can do a levy on safe schools and uh, get $34 per pupil, but we're proposing that that money be made permanent in state funding and non-public schools and non-public students be eligible for that. So three key pieces of legislation there that will help non-public school students and also the institutions generally uh, in creating safe schools, promoting school climate. Uh, those can be used for counseling as well, security enhancements and infrastructure, all really key things to improve school climate in our schools. Finally, I just want to mention school choice, of course, now, we work with our partner organization, Opportunity for All Kids, to continue to advance school choice programs, give more kids opportunity. There's a number of great pieces of legislation that have been introduced this year. In the Senate's education bill, they have an education savings account, much like Sean was describing earlier. Thankful for Senator Chamberlain from White Bear Lake, who's the head of the Education Committee, a strong proponent of school choice for including that in his bill. Um, the House is less supportive of that, but more open and more willing to engage uh, as they, since they have more so than in the past questions around resources for low-income families such as tax credits. So those conversations around school choice continue this year at the Capitol as well. And ultimately will be how much does Governor Walls want other things on his wish list such that he might be willing to embrace a reasonable school choice program that he has opposed in the past. That's going to be a big question as we head toward the end of session. Wonderful. Thank you, Jason, for really delving into some of the great things that are in the works here. And before we wrap up this week's episode, what do we have in this week's bricklayer segment? How can people start connecting their faith 
and politics. Well, May is the month of Mary, and on Sunday, May 2nd at 2 p.m., you can join together with Catholics to honor Our Lady at the Minnesota State Capitol. This is the annual May Day Family Rosary Procession from the Capitol up to the Cathedral of St. Paul. Lineup for the procession begins at 1.15 p.m. Do note that there will be limited seating inside the cathedral after the procession. So lining up at the Capitol, then going to the cathedral. For any of our listeners who wish to make it to St. Paul, but you cannot, you'll be able to join a virtual live stream on the Cathedral of St. Paul's Facebook page. We especially want to encourage all of our listeners to use this opportunity to pray for our state legislators and governor. Uh, At Catholics of the Capitol, we tried to have a procession. It wasn't in the works because of some security concerns this year, but our bishops did bless our city and our state and our elected leaders with the our Lord in the uh, Blessed Sacrament, which was a really beautiful thing that you can go visit and see on our Catholics of the Capitol website. But here's an opportunity once again to process in prayer through the intercession of Our Lady between the Capitol and the Cathedral. So again, the procession is Sunday, May 2nd, departs the Capitol at 2 and ends at the Cathedral with a time of prayer and benediction. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you missed an episode, remember to catch up on our podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and click share so more Catholics can begin to build a bridge between faith and public life. We appreciate you listening and tuning in. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. From Jason Adkins and for Kit Sapiniak, the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening and God bless your day.